0: Lenworth was back on the main road to Anchovy proper, past Long Hill's deep ravines and its corners and its peak, and long past the canopy of trees that shaded the steep road snaking up from the coast. He was on foot this time with the baby in the crook of one arm and an oversized bag that he pulled with the other hand. Having mistaken one house on a hill for the one he sought, he was lost, and the driver who had taken him there had already left. On that stretch of road, without the towering trees... The sun's heat was like a glove on his body, too close, too heavy, and the sweat dribbling along his spine and in every crevice, more of an annoyance than a cooling mechanism. This is GP Gottlieb, host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, I'm talking to Donna Heemans, author of Tea by the Sea, a gut-wrenching story about a young woman who experiences the unspeakable fear of all new mothers. Her baby disappears from the hospital after she gives birth. The evil deed is perpetrated by the baby's father, who, in his distorted thinking, figures that he's doing a good deed because this way, 17-year-old Plum will be able to live her life unencumbered by having to raise a child. Lanworth, the father, is able to convince himself again and again that his self-absorbed responses to adversity are really for the good of others, And he keeps it up for seventeen years because Lenworth is always able to wriggle out of difficult situations. Hi, Dana. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Galit. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So you have just released this beautiful novel, your second novel, in the middle of a global pandemic. How how is that working?
1: It's certainly not at all what I expected, and I mean I've spoken to so many other writers, and it's it's it's. it's a it's a work in progress. I think one of the things that I am happy that has happened, though, is I have found communities of uh, writers who are all in the same position, mm-hmm. and um, we are sharing advice. You know, people are talking about what they're doing. And so I think we have all been able to build on and borrow from what other people are doing. But it, mm-hmm. it is indeed a weird time. It's not something that I imagine we'll ever have to go through again.
0: Let's hope. So how did you come to write tea by the sea?
1: Um, well, I think of it as a three-part process. One, I had an idea to write a story about a group of people who went to a church and refused to leave. And, but at that point, I had no idea why they were there and what would actually make them leave. And so the second part of it was sometime after that, I started writing a short section about a mother who was getting her daughters ready for school. And she, um, you know, went through a whole litany of things, got them ready, dropped them off at school and started down the subway in Brooklyn. But instead of actually getting onto the train, she turned around and went to the church. And so at that point, I then knew who was in the church, but I didn't know why she was there. And again, what would make her decide to leave? Um, So sometime after that, I ended up being, I was in Jamaica, as you know, with my parents, and we were playing Scrabble one night, a Sunday evening. And there's a program that comes on on the radio every Sunday, every Sunday, and it's called Sunday Contact. And um, basically, people just call in to look for others that they have lost touch with. And on that particular evening, a woman called in, and she was looking for her son, who was about eight years old. And what she knew was that the child's father had taken a boy but she didn't know where they were. If they were in Jamaica, if they had migrated, she just had no clue where to find her child. And once I heard that, I said, this is my story. This is why this mother is in that church and why she's refusing to leave.
0: Wow. So the story opens with the father carrying his day old baby girl filled with ideas of how he's going to devote himself to raising her. And we don't know yet that he's kidnapped his child, but he immediately starts lying. So we know he's not what he seems. All right. But he seems so devoted. He's smart. He's well-educated. Where did this terrible part of him come from? Well, I
1: think he believes he's doing something good. And I think one of the things that we learn later on in the book, and I I don't want to give away too much, but one of the things that we learn is that he thought he was giving the mother of the child, Plum, a chance to have a decent life, to have a life without being uh, burdened by a new baby at such a young age. And one of the things that we'll find out is that Lenworth grew up with a mother and a sister who had children but um, were raising children without the father in the picture. And he had grown accustomed to seeing his mother and sister struggle. And he did not want Plum to go through the same kind of struggle. So he thinks he's doing something good. Um, You know, as, you know, we might have, as readers, we might have, you know, like a certainly different idea of whether it was good or not.
0: Right, and the part where he has to lie every turn um, might have given him a clue that it was, he wasn't as altruistic as he thought, but he didn't. He didn't catch that. So Plum is a beautiful wild teenager. Could you talk about how her parents decide to send her back to boarding school?
1: You know, it's one of the things that I think almost every uh, person from the Caribbean and probably from other. Um, other groups, other immigrant groups have heard growing up is that, you know, parents, at least in Jamaica, at least in the Caribbean culture, is one thing where parents will say that they are sending their children back to wherever they have come from so that they will learn and become a better person. And um, so in, in Plum's case, I think she got into her, or her cousin got into a little bit of trouble and her parents decided that she you know the influences that uh, around her were not the right ones so they wanted her in a different place in a different environment where she would not necessarily get into trouble um you know it, she found a whole different sort of trouble once she got to jamaica but again her parents wanted something different for her wanted to take, a, take her away from what they considered to be bad influences in brooklyn
0: well, uh, since you brought it up, um, so you grew up in Jamaica. So can can you talk a little bit about how um your education there affected you? How much of your whole and then you came to college in this country. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Sure. Um, you know, one thing that I think people will or people who know Jamaica or people who know me might recognize a little bit of the school there. I went to the high school I went to in Jamaica is called Westwood High School. It's a Um, I was a day student at a boarding school. And um, so I borrowed a little bit from that school and another boarding school to build the school that Plum attends in Jamaica. And Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I went to school in Jamaica. I finished high school there and then moved to New York, went to college in Brooklyn. Um, So my experience is certainly uh, different from Plum's experience in the book, but I think I was able to borrow from... um, you're living in Jamaica, living in Brooklyn, borrowing from my two experiences in order to create the experience she had.
0: Mm-hmm. Why do her parents refuse to live in Jamaica even though they love it there?
1: I, um, it, you know, it's, um, <laughs> um, it's one of those things where there's so much that you get accustomed to when you live somewhere else that, you know, you go back to Jamaica. and I, um, You go back to Jamaica now, and certainly I do, too. And um, there are some things that you see that are just so very different. There are some things that you're accustomed to, some things that you would like to see that are just um, handled differently in Jamaica. Um, for example, if you you know go to the bank to try to get any business done, the amount of paperwork that you have to go through is just so daunting. Um, but whereas some of the things that you would be able to do here um, very quickly and very easily, just requires mounds and mounds of actual physical paper in Jamaica. So some of it is just simply, is, um you know, those kinds of differences. Mm-hmm. You get used to a certain lifestyle and you want to have the same thing in Jamaica, but you might not necessarily have it. But at the same time, there is also so much about being in Jamaica that you miss. The weather, for one, The fruits that you, you know, have grown up eating, the food itself in general, your family, your friends, you want to have that, but you also want to have some of the other conveniences that, you know, you had in your new life or your other life.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about the food. Um, I had to take several breaks to uh, get a snack because (laughs) (laughs) there there was a lot mentioned. Let's talk about it. What did you love?
1: Um, You know, I don't remember much of the food that I talked about. Um, I I know tea, definitely. That's one thing that I um, talked about and wrote about in the book. One, because of the title, but also it's something that Plum loves. And she makes a habit out of taking um, like dried peel or anything, you know, fruit, pieces of fruit that you would discard and using that to make tea. And, you know, I I think it's something that so many people or so many cultures do where we have a lot of other teas that, um, you know, a lot of other teas that are beneficial or that we're um, told is beneficial. And um, I I think I wanted to build and bring some of that into the story.
0: And she carries around a tin, right?
1: Right. She had... um, yeah, she made her own tea, and she sat with um, Lenworth at lunch. You know, like, and they had tea. And most of the times, he was able to bring tea because she was a, a boarding. Um, she was in boarding, so she didn't necessarily have access to it, whereas he did. But she was able to talk to him and tell him about some of the other things that he could use to make um, very tea
0: hmm So Lenworth sets up a home in anchovy, which is about seven miles outside of Montego Bay in Jamaica. How does right. he how does he know that no one will look for him there, including his immediate family members and especially plum Well
1: plum I, I think um, well one of the things that um, Lenworth had done throughout his entire life with plum um, was tell various stories about himself. And um, so when she met him, she understood that he was from a completely different part of Jamaica called um, Greenwood. But he had spent some time in Greenwood, but not necessarily a a significant portion of his life. And um, Anchovy, turns out, was just um, what there was a house there that belonged to his father but a house that he knew of but his mother dis- didn't necessarily know about and without knowing lenworth's mother plum would not figure out where else to look for him and even when she met lenworth's mother his mother didn't have any idea where he was gone
0: mm mm-hmm. how who is mrs murray and why is she so kind to plum um
1: well mrs murray is the landlady who um Plum returns to Plum and Lenworth had been renting a house on Mrs. Morris' property. And when Plum leaves the hospital and finds out that Lenworth has completely disappeared, she, you know, is pretty much left without any family members to support her or to take care of her. And Mrs. Morris steps in. Um, you know, I, I want to think that there are many people in the world like that who just simply out of the goodness and kindness of in, you know, within themselves, that they would help a woman like Plum, somebody in Plum's situation where she had no immediate family members to help her out.
0: But Lenworth also finds a kind woman, Sister Ivy, to help him, not because of him, but because of the baby. In fact, yeah. more, most of your characters are good hearted people, only Lenworth is evil, but even he has a good side. So, what do you make of that?
1: Um, well, I think what works in Lenworth's favor is that he returns to Anchovy where his, his family had been living for a long time. So he's able to use the good name of his family to his benefit. And um, so the older woman he meets there in Anchovy just simply responds to him partly because he has this newborn baby that he's caring for. Um, the story he tells her is that the child's mother died in childbirth. Um, and I think he would, almost anybody I imagine would get um, sympathy for being in that kind of a situation. That's I think sure. there's,
0: sorry, go ahead.
1: No, he, he is just able to use um, the situation that he puts himself into to get the kind of attention that he needs.
0: Yeah. Uh, there's kind of a theme of really extraordinarily kind women. Except for Plum's husband, Alan, are there any kind men? Um, You know,
1: that's a good question. Um, I think her father was relatively kind. He, um, You know, her parents certainly sent her back to Jamaica, and I think that they wanted to do something good for her. Um, and I believe, you know, the way I look at it, when she comes back to Brooklyn, they again try to make, um, again, try to get her back on track, get her on the right track. So I I, I, I look at her father as a good person or a good man. Um, and, it, you know, I, I guess I also want to say I don't necessarily set, set out to write um, bad men it just simply happens that in this particular story, Lenworth just does something that um, turns out to be not as good as he initially thought it was going to be.
0: Oh, okay. Cause I was thinking that most men are kind of so, <laughs> oh, just kidding. Um, sister Ivy actually helps make Lenworth become a better person. Can you talk about that?
1: That she does. And I, um, I wanted her to, well, I, I wanted Lenworth to, um, to not, I, I think as writers, we have to be careful to, you know, certainly make sure that we're writing people who are multidimensional and they're not just all bad or all good. Um, so one of the things that I certainly wanted to, to have Lenworth become or to, to be is to grow into himself to not only recognize some of his failures, but also try to become a better person. And he tries to be a a good father to Opal. He gets married and he tries in his way to be a good wife and a good father to the two boys he has. He doesn't necessarily, he fails at a lot of it as we all do, but I think he tries. And much of that is due to Sister Ivy who does set out to help him find his way in Anchovy and become the person that he becomes.
0: He's really quite an interesting character. So he goes along, Sister Ivy wants the baby to be christened and Lenworth couldn't care less about religion or church, which makes it even stranger when he later decides to become a priest. Okay. So I really have to take a step back here. I have a sister-in-law and a brother-in-law who are both Episcopal priests separately And they, um, each of them were called, they they have explained how they were called to becoming priests. And they're infused, each of them infused with spirituality. So how is someone like Lenworth able to become a priest, even if he does it as an escape?
1: Um, You know, I think that I have met a good number of people who, turn to the church or turn to become pastors in some form or the other, whose life doesn't necessarily reflect their spirituality or their beliefs. And so I wanted to draw from that experience in creating Lenworth. But in addition to that, I think Lenworth Lenworth wanted to become an engineer. He wanted to build buildings. He wanted to build big things. And he looks at Christianity or looks at religion, looks at the priesthood as building in a different way. And so that's the reason he really turns to, turns to become, um, becomes a priest or turns to, um, goes off to, you know, study to become a priest. Um, So I think that is part of it. The other part, too, is that one of the things that I learned a long time ago was that, um, the Episcopal Church, at least in Jamaica, and we call it the Anglican Church there, um, they required their priests to teach for a few years before they enter, um, before they start studying. And so having taught, Lenworth was in a good position to use that to then um, study, you know, enter the seminary and study to become a priest. So it worked out to his advantage.
0: Mm-hmm. So let's talk about how Plum decides what profession to follow. I loved that story.
1: Yeah, hers was just very different. Um, her mother had worked in the healthcare setting and she did not want to, um, didn't initially want to be in healthcare at all. And this, all, all of this happened when she returned to Brooklyn and had to figure out what to do with her life while still trying to figure out where her child and Lenworth had, had gone. And um, she you know goes to the Brooklyn Public Library and starts looking through some books and um picks something that um seems to work for her. She becomes a lab tech it's you know like a, um not necessarily something that I think most of us would think about initially, but um you know, my sister is a lab tech, and so I was able to draw from her experiences as a lab tech to helped to round out some of the things that Plum would be doing as a lab tech.
0: I like how she just sat at the library looking through professions. Right. So cute. Let's talk about your title, Tea by the Sea.
1: Um, that one, I, had, um, I read it somewhere or I saw it somewhere and I wrote it down. And strangely enough, I just knew it would make a great title for a book and I left it alone. And, um, when I started writing this book, I said, you know, that would be a good title. Um, and then I had to, once I started working on the book and I, I realized how the title itself fits into the story, I like to write about the water and just about everything, almost everything that I write, there is some body of water involved in it, involved in it. And I, um, I knew that Plum would be spending a good amount of time at the beach. Drinking tea was also a, a big thing for her, so it just made sense that that would be the title of this book. Once you know, like Opal got a little bit older, I had to figure out exactly how it would play into her life. And one of the things that readers will learn is that her father Lenworth uses tea by the sea as a way to bridge. As a way to give Opal some kind of a relationship with her mother that is completely non existent because of what he did um, the day Opal was born.
0: Mm-hmm. It takes Plum many years to be willing to marry Alan. Does she love him? That's a good question.
1: I think she does on some level, but I think that she had to make a decision to move forward with her life. She had been disappointed um, over and over. She had been searching for Opal. She left, um, got to Jamaica, thought she had a really good lead, got to the house in Anchovy and found it empty, and came back to New York with an idea that she would stop searching. But she also, at that point, had to make a decision where she would go with her life, how she would move forward with her life. And it just made sense in some ways to create something else to replace the child she didn't think she would be finding, and in some ways to replace Lenward. So it's I think there is some love there, but at that moment when she makes that decision, it's certainly not about love. It's simply Mm -hmm. about having somebody in your life and not really being alone, having something to replace what you have already lost.
0: Yeah. Well, it it was, it's just a lovely book. And um, so, uh, uh, so many emotional highs and lows, happy, sad, up, down. Oh, so um, a little bit of nail biting, but it was a (laughs) lovely book. What are you working on next?
1: Well, I, I have two other novels that I had started writing before I wrote *Tea by the Sea*, and I have revised at least one. Another one I need to work on the revisions for. And so the one that I think at this moment I still believe it's done is a story about a family's migratory patterns through the Caribbean and in um, America. So they had spent some time in Cuba, and one. Daughter in the story also lived in America, so I I wanted to do something that just really traced how Caribbean people have moved around, both within the Caribbean and outside.
0: Sign me up! It really sounds interesting. There's uh, a lot more need for more immigrant stories because this is a country based on immigrants, and Certainly. I mean, there's, there's some issues with um, immigrant rights right now. Right. As actually this think- very week. <laughs> Yeah, quite a bit of it. Right. Right. Uh, And there are are lots of stories. There
1: are lots of stories that we don't necessarily hear either.
0: Yeah. And we all have from different parts of the world. I mean, I'm my parents were barely born here, but I'm second generation because of that. You know, very few of us have long histories here. Right. Some do. Donna, thank you so much for talking to me. This has been just lovely. And I wish you the best of luck with this book and the other books. Thank you.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: And thank you for joining me. Again, this is GP Gottlieb, author of the Whipped and Sipped Mystery Series and host of New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, I've been talking with Donna Hemans, author of Tea by the Sea, If you enjoyed today's podcast and would like to discuss it further with me and other New Book Network listeners, please join us on Shuffle. Shuffle is an ad-free, invite-only network focused on the creativity community. As New Book Network listeners, you can get special access to conversations with a dynamic community of writers and literary enthusiasts. Sign up by going to www.shuffle.do forward slash nbn forward slash join.